0: Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation
1: with your host, Shane Kelton.
2: I want to talk about the doctors and nurses and your experience because from my experience, what we had, I wasn't there this day, but there was one nurse who probably didn't show the right bedside manner in this instance, but for our 51 days, we probably had close to 35 nurses that we saw through that period of time and they were literally unbelievable. Like to be able to do their job, uh, I just, and I remember one nurse said, and I've got a quote from you as well here, but one nurse said to me, it's a different world in here. And I, I cried because I was like, you're right, like I've probably driven past these hospitals so many times I've never understood that what's going on. And one of your cards I've got written down here is people don't even know NICUs exist. Yeah. And these nurses are just unbelievable.
0: They they are the real superheroes in this world. They really are. Like yourself, we we had about probably thirty to forty nurses while we were in there. And look, there's probably only two we didn't like their bedside manner but all the rest was super amazing and what they do is just next level just even uh to talk about it's it so hard but like when Ava had a little incident where she choked on me and she couldn't breathe and she needed to be neuropathed just our nurse who was one that, didn't have great bedside manner that day she had just disappeared like she didn't tell anyone she was going and so we had to get this other nurse over to help us and she just literally grabbed over off me and put her on the bed and just started working away and it was so traumatic and then at the end of it she came over to apologize to say I'm sorry I grabbed your baby off you what was I gonna do like you you need to do what you've got to do and the nurses, they're, they're amazing, and the doctors, we've had really good doctors. Um, although something that I haven't gotten to about putting up on my Instagram is we actually went through about a four-week period where we didn't see a doctor at all. Um, and it was the doctors, they rotate weekly, and they've always been so amazing, but there was just this four-week period where the doctors on those rotations didn't come past at all. Yeah. Um, And at that point, Ava was super stable, but we also felt like we were in this no man's land where we weren't progressing, everything was okay, and we felt that sort of Ava was pushed aside sometimes because she was classed as super stable. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: And that I I think I mentioned it to a nurse and she really advocated for us, for the doctors to come and talk to us that next morning. Um, Yeah. And the doctor came past and she actually said, I'm sorry, I haven't seen you and I haven't come past to see you, but everything's okay. So I just didn't think that I needed to come past. And I was like, well, that's, uh, thank you for coming past. But I'm like, can you at least tell us what our next steps are? What are our next goals? What are our next milestones? Yeah. Um, and then after that, we got some of, because we, we were there for so long, um, we got back on the same the rotation of our very first doctors who we absolutely admire. Yeah. Um, and they they were always like so excited to see how Ava was going. And so they made a point to come past multiple times a day to talk to us and see us and and things like that. So
2: Yeah, I definitely found that any nurse or doctor that came back into that rotation or came back to Ryder's bed, they had they had this like a little attachment to to that baby because it came when they were when when it was in, the baby was in its infancy. So it's it is and this definitely is that. It? And it's I guess it's such a hard job, and why I praise the nurses so much is because babies aren't naturally cute, and you tend to form an attachment with them because that's just what we do as humans. But these these nurses have to leave that in the hospital, and they have to go home, and some of the stuff they see day after day after day. And the reality is, some babies don't make it, and I had to look at the percentages. <laughs> um on google and thankfully i think it's very very slim i think even the nurse said like 15 babies have died in their hospital over the last 12 months and that's just incredible for how many births they have so they just for me that's just you know they can, just i guess their calmness and their composure like when the, these machines are just beeping around them, they just they just casually walk over and you're just sitting there like, why the fuck is this beeping?
0: Yeah, you're kind of like, um, are, are you gonna come and check my baby? Are you gonna do something <laughs> like this machine is beeping? What's going on? Or, and like sometimes I don't know about Ryder, but Ava has a habit of pulling a um, like, respiratory rate probes and things like that. And so it would, the machine would say she's not breathing, but her saturation probe was still well attached to her foot. So her saturation was a hundred, but her respiratory rate was zero.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: that's Yeah, that was pretty, I was like, why, why are you not doing anything? And then they would just casually pop their arm in and you know put the probe back on her or something like that. But um, talking about, you know, the, the deaths of pram babies, it is quite real and it is, it does happen. Um, while we were in there, there was another little bubba Um, She was born at 25 weeks. She had been in there for two weeks. Her name was also Ava, which is sort of like hit home a little bit. Yeah. Um, And it turns out that a a girl that I know of that I I, um, have worked with previously who has been amazing, like she checks in so often just to see how we're going, Um, she knew the parents of that baby and. Soon as she heard about that, she'd messaged me to make sure that our Ava was all okay and that everyone yeah. was going all okay with us. Like it's um it's tough, and I didn't see the parents, but another couple who we um obviously went through the journey of the mercy with, like their Bob was in NICU with Ava and then H U and their special care. Um they did see the parents when that just after it had happened, and they they said that for them that was very, very confronting to see as well. So
2: yeah, oh, I'm so thankful I didn't see that because it would have just set, set me up even more, to be honest. Um, and it's just yeah, it is the reality of of what can happen with a premier baby. It is very risky, and um, it we are very lucky that we have the technology that we have I know Alicia went in to get her nails taken off probably four weeks after Ryder was born and she was just talking to the nail lady who was from Philippines or somewhere like that and Alicia had told her the story and the lady just turned around and said if we gave birth at that age in our country the baby would be, have died in 24 hours, There's just, we, we couldn't do it. we can't do anything and I was just like that just puts it into so much perspective of how lucky we are to considering, I mean, there is a lot of prem babies, um, you know, I think 3% are born before 30 weeks. I think that's something like that. So in 33, 34, it's, it's not a huge amount, but it's still, if you think about how many babies are born in a year, like that is a lot of babies that in other countries who wouldn't even have a half a percent chance so the nurses and with the technology we have you know we are very lucky um and we'd probably both have miracle babies to be honest um, and they'll probably know about it in a few years time Um,
0: i also think we're very lucky to have a like not-for-profit health system where this is all covered by medicare um we were talking to a nurse in there who probably spoke too much about a previous <laughs> um patient. But she had mentioned how a lady didn't even know she was pregnant. She she'd come from overseas, so she'd carried quite small. Um she had a baby, but because she was a a tourist here when when she mm. had her baby, so she went into labor while she was on her holiday. Um the bill wasn't covered by Medicare because obviously she's not an Australian citizen or resident. Um, and she said the, the to stabilize the baby enough to be able to send it home to its home country, uh, they had to get it to about two weeks over its actual full-term date, so 42 weeks. Yeah. Uh, and she said the bill was in like over a million dollars because of what that baby had been through while it was in there. So, Um, we are very lucky that we have such a good health system as well.
2: Very much so. Very much so. Um, I want to talk to, I want to ask you the question, how have you gotten through this? How have you and Michael gotten through these last 82 days? Um, And and after you, I'd like to share a couple of
1: things that I did. Um, But how have you guys got through and how have you got through together and as individuals?
0: yeah so I think together we we haven't had a lot obviously, a lot of time of just us to go out and do a lot of things ourselves but we still make the effort to try and go out for dinner and just sort of even though our phones are glued to our hands we sort of don't talk about it like we, we obviously talk about Ava and things we'll do with Ava when she's home but we don't talk about the day we've had or the week we've had in there when we're out at those times it's it's about talking about what we'll do in the future and um, just like what ideas that we have on other things and other conversation or um, we've also tend to do a bit of our own things too. Like I might, if we leave the hospital early one afternoon, Michael might do something around the yard. Um, I might go down the shops and spend money as <laughs> us ladies like to do. Um, and, Yeah, it's just like you have to do those sort of things. Like I found going for quite often we will draw on our way into um, the hospital. We go through Pakenham. Um, There's a lake there in an estate called Lakeside. We find that we'll go get a coffee from the coffee shop and walk around the lake just to get some fresh air and do something. And when Ava was at the Mercy, I found that, that block with the hill as you walk down towards like the Safeway or the Woolworths on the corner. Yeah, yeah. I walk down there and then all the way back up the block just to get out of there, get some fresh air. Like it's, um, yeah, you had to do that. And I guess we've both sort of coped individually too by talking to a lot of our close friends. Um, there's some people we've realized that probably like they don't know any different, but it's not that level of support or conversation that we're seeking. So we sort of stick to those who um, sort of offer that for us and, and listen to us. And quite, I've I've had a friend who goes, "I don't even know what you're going through or how you're feeling, but and I don't even know what to say, but just keep talking to me if that's what you need." So it's um, yeah.
2: That's like it's, that's that's where I was kind of going to go a bit in a couple of minutes. But that I think that is like the perfect thing for some a family or a friend to say, like literally. I don't know what you're going through, I don't understand. But if you need to keep talking, just talk. Because back like, oh, I had that as well, like with friends where I just I just basically tell them how I was feeling and they'd be like, Okay, like is there anything else you need? What do you need from us? And but because no one can fix the situation. No one can change the situation, no one can get your child out of this there. So it's about helping you just in any other ways that they, they can. And before I go on to the next question, I'll, I guess what I did was a very similar you. I walked through that wall worse. And I remember one day um, Alicia and I walked into the pub and got a meal um, and watched the football and then walked back up. Like that was just to break the day up because you do want to be in there, but it, it isn't healthy to also sit there for eight or ten hours. You, like, you need to break it up and... I remember if I was losing my cool or not feeling great, I would yeah, go out for a walk. But one of the things I did daily was I'd actually go out and read the walls of all the um, stories that had been put up on the walls. And um, it actually just reminded me that I really want to do one and send it in there. But reading those stories about the babies sort of being, you know, there was one story where the baby was transferred from like four or five hours away. And you know, was now at like four or five, and I was just like, it just gave me that hope that I needed a like duck every day to actually get through each day, because each day it was just a mountain in itself. Um, and I, I know you guys have gone through lockdowns as well, and there's days where you, you just want to break, and be your and you like you kind of want your family members to go in and just to be there as well, but. In lockdown, you can't have that. So when I mean, they're outside of lockdown, it's very restricted, and it has to be because these babies are sick. But it just you feel like you have to be there all the time. So you need to do things to make sure you're not there all the time. So when you are there, you're present.
0: Yeah, hundred um, percent. And if you don't like, you're just not going to be the best you for to advocate for your child because even though they're in a place where they're experts on this stuff at times you still have to advocate for them so um as parents we know them best and we're there with them every day so sometimes we have to raise raise the questions so.
2: yeah oh 100% you need to yeah if if you've seen something the day before and a nurse has never met your child like it's good to have those conversations because they're like oh great now I can get understanding because each baby in there has different characteristics and yeah. everything like that so Babies respond to different things, and so it's yeah, it's it is. You need to be in there, but you need to also look after yourself. I want to backtrack with, before we go into the next question. Is do you remember the first time I ever cried?
0: Yeah, it was <laughs> the most amazing thing to even yeah, like it's a, it's another one of those milestones people don't understand. Is that cry like that's you know, that their vocal cords haven't been damaged from intubation you know, that their lungs are now developed. And um, I actually, I that day I was talking to one of my friends who he's got two two boys um, and I, he was like, how are you going? And I was like, he even cried for the first time ever today. <laughs> and it was the most amazing thing. I, I just remember him writing back to me and he just wrote, To be honest, I don't love it when my boys cry, but I understand for you that's a big deal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I remember, like, hearing other babies cry because we went, um, Nikki, straight to HDU, no, special care, and then we ended up going back. But I remember all the babies were crying in there. I was like, Ryder still hasn't cried. I was like, what's going on? And it was, and then when he did, I was like, I remember I laughed and I was like, this is the best. And I was like, oh, but the poor kid's crying. There's nothing wrong with like, so and it's, yeah, I mean, and a couple of things, and, and I, you'll probably experience this as well, but oh, I tried to like, in the moments now when he's crying or when we're not getting much sleep, I go back to this is much better than hospital, like. I'm so grateful for him crying now, and I'm so grateful that we're not sleeping yeah. sometimes. And um, so I keep reminding myself of this is what it was like, this is what it is like, and this is much better than that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still difficult at times, but all parents would understand. And you, you do get tired and grumpy, and you want to, you know, you're like, baby, stop crying. But the reality is that that's what babies do, and that's a good thing. So,
0: yeah.
1: My next question. Yeah,
0: sorry, go. Sorry. Something, um, I actually went out for dinner with some, some friends on Friday night. Um, and one of them, she's her daughters, my age, they've had their first baby. Um, her daughter, her granddaughters are about five months old now. And, um, she's going through this phase where she's not sleeping and they've got to go. They've got to intervene with sleep school because it's, it's to that point. And, um, Anyway, she was telling me about it because I asked her daughter, oh, she's having a rough time but it's nothing like what you're going through and she didn't want to talk about it. I was like, no, just please talk about it. Like,
1: yeah.
0: I'm happy to hear this. Like I know that in my mind I am like, you know what, I would take anything to have a sleepless like, night at home every night. I would take anything right now for that. But everyone's, everyone's journey is different and you know what, if you've got a full-term baby and it's not sleeping, it's you know, you're you allowed to, allowed to be upset about that it's-
2: yeah i think yeah i think that's really important that you mention that because oh, i'm the same i think it's, oh, i want to hear how my other parent friends are coping with babies and if they're not sleeping and they're struggling mentally because because for them that's the hardest thing they're going through so it's really important that we do just open that's so i think that's what we're both doing here is we're openly talking about this so becomes a normalised conversation. We can sit around it's not, we're not sitting around a campfire going, well, my story is worse than yours and, or well, mine's better than yours. It's, it's just it's just sharing and it's just going, oh, well, do you want help with that? Or you know, I've got some advice. A, f- a friend of mine I was just talking to, you know, went through something similar, not me, but maybe I could pass it on to them. It's not yeah. mine's better or worse or whatever. It's just literally a conversation. I think we get caught up. In the fact that someone's trying to be better,
1: yeah, one hundred percent.
2: So, and you got to be really careful because you don't want to downgrade your own story. Like personally, like if we put mine and yours, I was in hospital. We're in hospital fifty-one days. You're at eighty-two. Technically, it's worse. But what we both experienced was it's our That's own worst. Yeah. So, oh, and speaking about friends and family, like, what are the things they did that really helped you? Because Oh, I know that Alfred. Like, we, we didn't cook any food for around seven weeks um, and uh, it was a lot of carbs so I did put on some weight but it, it made life, yeah, that two or three hours that we didn't have to spend cooking and, and not only that but if, if we didn't have to cook, the fact is we probably would have gone through drive-through every day so that was a huge help and there's other things as well but what do your friends and family do and if you want to give them a shout out you can
0: yeah so I'll definitely give a shout out to my mother-in-law Helen so she is absolutely amazing she's a fantastic cook anyway but um I have not cooked since Ava was born she every week drops off food to us um she even got put through one of the COVID checkpoints she lives more than five k's away so in the lockdown the other week, she um, got put through one of the little police stops to because she was better than the 5Ks from home and she just started offering our food to the police officer for one. She was a bit like, hey, that's mine. Um, but, yeah, she explained the situation and it, it fell on the caregiving. So she was able to come and drop, drop the food off for us. But if we're at the hospital and we're not home, she, she has a key. She comes in, pops it in the fridge um, and then we'll just go back home Like, and she does that every week for us. And she'll always ask us what, what we want, if there's anything particular we want cooked um, each week. And she's seriously an absolute gem. Um, my mum is a knitter. And obviously, as you would know, you know, they, they need beanies in there and
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, there was a shortage on the octopuses when we got in there and Ava needed an octopus. So she'd stop grabbing her cords and IV lines. So I literally just messaged my mum. My mum can't cook to save herself, so <laughs> messaged her to see if she could make something. And <laughs> mom whipped up an octopus that night and two beanies. And they were coming in. Um, that was when visitors were allowed. They were coming in that next day. So mum's pretty much stayed up all night just knitting so that we'd have these octo this octopus and these beanies for Ava.
1: Um,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh Other people, we've had other friends, so um, Sarah, she also cooks for us. Like she will um, literally, they've got a house key as well. So she will literally just cook and come and put it in our fridge and like she'll leave the lights on and she'll make sure she comes in the afternoon she'll put the dogs in and leave the lights on and just do little things like that to help us out. And, um, yeah, just... Uh, I guess the most amazing one that we've had, which really took me by shock, was uh, my mum's neighbour, her daughter, daughter's best friend or something is, so it's quite distant connection. Yeah. Um, she had a NICU baby and soon as, so as soon as Ash, her friend had said to her, oh, mum's neighbour's granddaughter is now a NICU baby or whatever, she put together this care pack for us. And I'm like, I don't even know this girl. Like I've never met her, but she put together this little care pack and had all the snacks you need because you need plenty of snacks in
1: yeah. <laughs> Um yeah. a,
0: a little journal so that we could start journaling if we wanted to and um, some little outfits that were hand-me-downs from her NICU bub so that Ava had first clothes to wear. Um, and, yeah, I think they're the definites. Uh, also, we've got a really great neighbour across the road who comes and mows our lawn and bakes <laughs> treats for us. So we've been so lucky like that to have such a village of amazing people, and even just those who just send a message like every day. I've got got a few friends that every day, how are you going? And even if I don't reply, you know, the next day you're going to get a message. How are you going today? Like yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's that that in itself is being the village that's really gotten us through so
2: and it's, yeah, it's been it was the same for us and you like you know in all honesty if you don't think you need it you're, you're probably living in a deluded world like you, you do need it it's just I've been so thankful to my friends and it makes probably upsets me more than the whole situation than anything else but like friends and family that literally you just you don't ask for this and but they just turn up on your doorstep and they, they literally would do anything. Like, I think my, my brother mowed the lawns. I had a mate help us move house. I had, we were moving out of rental. Friends just organised someone to clean it and paid for it. And it wasn't about the money. Like, we could afford it. It was the fact that it just got done
1: yeah.
2: and we didn't have to think about it. And just, yeah, just things like that were just incredible um, and it does, like, any little thing like that can go a wrong way. And if you don't know what to do, you can also just ask as well. Like,
1: yeah,
2: um, it's, like, I know that people just ask me, like, what do you want? Like, because the other thing is people have food allergies these days as well. So, you like, you like, sometimes it's, like, I'm going, but you just say, I'm going to cook, what do you want? Like, and then they'll, they'll give you the answer. So, like, this there's so much you can do. And like I've been so thankful to my friends and my family. Like we were were given money, like by people? Because obviously with, with a baby comes obviously no work, but then you've got parking every day, you've got petrol every day. And for you guys, it was an hour and 20 to the hospital. Um, Now it's 35 with the change of hospitals. But this, it just starts to really add up and, if you don't have anything to eat, you do. You buy a meal, which might be 10, 15, 20 bucks, and
0: yeah, just... and It's the worst food as well. Like it, there's no nutrition. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So it gives you no actual substance. It just
1: fills your stomach for forty minutes. Um Is there anything your friends? I'm not going to say your friends or family. Is there anything that you'd recommend that people
2: don't say to someone going through this?
0: Yeah, there's... I've had a lot. Like, um, I think... uh, One of the hardest ones, so do you go and see her every day? Um, Yeah, that's my daughter. Of course I do. Um, I'm like, yeah, okay, rightio. Um, The other one is... (laughs) if for some reason you've been in a hospital and you've been in a hospital for four to five days, maybe don't say, Oh, I'm so overseeing a hospital after being here for four days. Um, obviously, you know, everyone's situation is relative to it and obviously to them it's about a big deal and that, that's okay. It's allowed to be, but maybe just don't say you're over the hospital bit for five days. Like yeah. it's, um, that, that, that was a bit hard. Um, the other one that I really struggle with um, and I I sort of just burst into tears when people talk about it to me um, is when people give you unsolicited mental health advice. So <laughs> you've had a, a hell of a day in there. Like you've had a setback, you've had something going on, and then you've got someone telling you that you need to go and get some mental health advice. And it's
1: like before
0: they even – Start giving you this advice. They don't even ask you if you are talking to someone. They just assume you're not. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's that's the hardest one. And it's like I I pick and choose who I want to talk to about it. Um Obviously, my mental health is nowadays it's getting more out there and more okay to talk about and more normalised to talk about. But there's some people out there who I don't I, I don't even know how to describe it, but they just have blinkers on when it comes to mental health. And, um, yeah, I I would obviously choose not to talk to some people about it or some people, I think if you would have that conversation, they probably wouldn't take it on so well. Yeah. Um, so it's not something you want to talk to everyone about. And, um, some people I, I did start the conversation with a couple of people who I thought were, probably quite supportive of getting mental health advice. Um, but then their their responses were literally, Oh, you're the strongest person. I know you're okay.
1: Mm.
0: Like that doesn't mean that I don't need help or that I'm not vulnerable or, um, you know, even the strongest people have have their moments and need some help too. So yeah, I think they're definitely some of the ones you don't, don't say,
1: um, (laughs)
2: I think, I think going on that, I, there's a quote and I'm hopefully going to get it right, but a normal response to an abnormal event is abnormal. So, like, if you're going through something like this, I don't care how strong or how okay you are, like, you're, it's actually normal to be feeling like shit when you go through this and that's what my therapist said is, like, You're actually allowed to be going through this. You're actually a human who is going through probably one of the most traumatic experiences of our life. If you're not feeling these things, I'd be worried. The fact that you are feeling these things and you're getting angry and you're getting upset shows that you're actually living this and you're not actually, I guess, deluded to the fact that it's really
1: important that the reaction matches the situation. So. Yes, and so what to say, I think we're getting into.
0: Um, I think probably the best thing that anyone has ever said, which we touched on before, was people who admit, I don't know what you're going through, but if you need anything, we are here, um, or I can't relate to your situation, but I, I'm here for you, or I don't, I had someone who just messaged me, I don't even know what to say or how to say or what you're feeling, but just know I'm here and I'm thinking about you every day. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. That if it that sort of stuff or uh, people, what can I do? And, you know, sometimes certain people can't do certain things for you. There might be distance or things. Um, but I said to one of those friends, I was like, you know what, just just send me a message once a week and just check in and I will do my best to reply to you and give you an update yeah so that yeah
1: oh it's
2: yeah spot on and I I guess if you don't know or other people don't know like why that's so powerful that, that advice is because the other person is showing their vulnerability they're saying I don't know what you're going through I don't know how to help so you help me like they are literally admitting they don't have a clue so that's showing that they're vulnerable to a vulnerable person, which goes, we're both vulnerable here. Let's help each other out. So you're going, okay, you don't need help. Well, I want you to do this for me. And all of a sudden that's a very cohesive and constructive way forward, essentially. Yeah. So be vulnerable to the person in a vulnerable state is basically what you need to do. Easier said than done for sure. But, um,
1: no one's an expert in this, even, you know, I get the nurses and that have a fair idea, but,
2: um, I asked, yeah, the nurses are probably the best, they kind of know when to step in or to step out. Um, and they do ask like, what do you want me to do? Or whatever. so, uh, question, um, before I give the floor to you, but, um, and I, this is this is this can be quite personal for everyone. So if you don't want to talk about that, this that's fine. But the big, I guess one of the misunderstandings with premier births is breastfeeding and bottle feeding and expressing and and all of that. Like, what was your experience like with that? Um, and what is it like now? And I think the funny thing is, I think it's actually um, breastfeeding. Trauma Awareness Week or something like that. So, uh, uh, Colin's like, yeah, so contact's like, pretty well. And I'm seeing Alicia, like, sometimes really struggle with it and it's really hard for me because I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't help. Um, I can just be there and ask if she needs anything. But um, what's that like been like for you?
0: Um, I think it's been definitely a tough journey. So, um, when Ava was born, it was a Thursday night. We got to the Mercy on a Friday there was no lactation consultants available until Monday because they don't work weekends. Um and I obviously I hadn't even made my 30-week committed like um midwife's appointment. So I had I was flying blind. Like I'd basically spoken to my midwife about breastfeeding, but not, you know, none of how to express by hand to get colostrum or anything like that. So um we get there and then obviously they want you to start expressing your colostrum for your baby um and I was like well I don't even know how to do this like what am I doing and for some weird reason a couple of weeks earlier I'd bought a breast pump I have no (laughs) idea why what because I was like I don't know if I'll need one like you know we'll see and um yeah so I kind of just over the weekend sort of just worked out how to use this pump to try and get some colostrum going for, for the breastfeeding. Um, and I, I think I remember getting like, I don't know, like half a meal or something and yeah. I was so over the moon and so excited. I went in the next day and um, because I was discharged from hospital so early, they'd arranged um, for me to have like a postnatal appointment with midwives at the Mercy. Yeah, I remember feeling so good about what I had achieved, my like little half a meal and uh, I was in there. And she asked me how I was going, and I told her. And I just remember her saying, "That's not enough." But she offered no support on how to, get more, or what I was doing wrong, or she she didn't even offer how to show me how to get some like. And I remember I, I walked out of that and I felt a bit deflated. And I went and had Michael and I went and had lunch, and I sort of spoke to him about how I felt after um, seeing that that midwife. And, um, the next day I went in and the, the nurse there was like, well, where's your claustrum? Like, how much have you got? And I'm like, oh, I've got two meals. <laughs> that's that's what I've got from a 24 hour period. And, and I remember her saying, well, you know, you, you need to focus on getting more and you need to go and get a pump and start pumping more. And I'm like, I've got a pump and I'm doing the best I can. And she's like, no, you need one of our pumps. You can't use that pump. And, I was like, why? Like, but Tell me why. And I didn't understand it. Anyway, by that point, I'd, I'd obviously gotten so emotional and I was so stressed because I was, I was getting nothing and how there's all this pressure on you to get your milk out for your baby because they can't formula feed. And Ava qualified for donor milk at that point. Um, and so she was on donor milk and I was like, well, the donor milk has to stop once she reaches a kilo and... You've got, to, you've got to get your supply in. And I was like, well, how am I going to do this? And I, in my mind, I thought they were expecting me to already give them like 500 mils.
1: Yeah. Like
0: they were wanting probably double of what I had, but it was a bit of a lost in translation. So I felt <laughs> very um, overwhelmed by it all. And I, mel- I, had a, I had a meltdown in the middle of the NICU, like just in the middle of that first room, I just burst into tears and I'm like, there's so much pressure. I'm not going to breastfeed. I'm not going to. And it was uh, Michael sort of got me to everything. He was like, come on and we'll, we'll go and work out this pump situation. Like, because I'm like, I don't even know where I got these pumps from. Like, I was bawling my eyes And that's when one of the other nurses was like, oh, you're doing a great, uh, one of the other nurses sorry, was like, you're doing a great job. You just go to the ward clerk's desk and they can arrange a pump for you. Yeah, Something so simple, but that was never mentioned. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was so hard. And then obviously, um I I'd had other issues myself. So at four weeks we realized that I'd had retained products, um, from Ava's birth, which that also affects your supply. And then I had to have surgery from it. So then I had to, uh, sorry, sorry, I'll go back to about two weeks old. So Ava was two weeks old and, um, we found out she has a dairy allergy and because yeah. I'd had dairy in my diet. All that milk had to go. I now had no, no backup supply. Um, no not know.
2: liquid, gold. liquid yeah.
0: gold that can't be used it's not a good yeah. thing i was like oh i've got to throw this out now like what am i that were really good They're like no no we freeze it off blah, blah and explain the process to me but so there was that and then i had this surgery um when ava was four and a half weeks old and the anesthetist said to me it's like we've got a full-term baby this is okay um with breastfeeding but because she's prem and so far prem you actually can't use this milk so you're going to have to dump 48 hours worth of milk yeah and I was just oh my gosh like the tears again like (laughs) it's just and you're so emotional at that time you just cry about the smallest things um and then so obviously my supply started coming in but Ava was then at an age and a weight where she was taking more than I could, could supply so um upon talking to the lactation consultants I had to go on Matillium to get my supply up so and and now it's um tracking along like with Ava's growth so I'm managing to keep up with her so I always get a bit more but it's still not like a normal mum like my friends who have become mums in this time they're getting you know 1.5 liters a day and I'm getting 600
1: mils
0: (laughs) (laughs) because you, you lose all that contact that, um, you know, that initial contacting that brings you milk in it. Um, yeah, it makes it hard because you can't breastfeed the baby straight away. They get fed through through a tube for a very long time. Um, you don't get that breast contact to, to make the hormones work, to make more milk. So it's um, definitely a tough process. And obviously with Ava's allergies, I'm probably feeling a bit more stressed about it now because of um, am I going to be able to keep up with her for another three to four months Yeah, uh, just until we can get her on some form of solids. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite difficult. And then obviously the stressful situations in there, those emotional days, you just see your supply drop. I don't know about Alicia, but if I had a, had a bad day, we had a setback day. For two days, my supply would be nothing. So yeah,
2: and uh, so we were we were probably really lucky. Alicia was producing like a day later, like just liquid gold, just coming out, and it was brilliant. And they even the lactation consultant and the nurses were like, "You are like killing it." And it was, in essence, there's nothing she was doing. Like it's it's not no one deliberately or you know stuffs up. like it's just one of those things and we we, we heard stories of, of some people never ever producing milk when they have a premier they just they just can't do it it just doesn't happen for them that you necessarily know why so we, we've been very very lucky to the point where we we've got about probably about probably a liter in the freezer at home, and but we but we would have had about three and a half liters in the freezer, and it there's a period of time where it started to just really drop because when and you probably have this as well when Ava we gets out, you have to you do breastfeeding, but you have to do top ups. Yeah, but the, you give more in the top ups than you can express, so it just it dwindles. So we we started to panic about two weeks ago, going we're going to run out of milk, and Alicia's thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to go to formula and she, she went all through all of that, and I, was, I just sat there and I said, Look, if we need to go to formula or if we need to do whatever we need to do, we just do it. Like, this isn't being a normal birth. We just have to, as long as he's healthy, that's all. And it's just like, because oh, behind closed doors, I'm panicking as well. I'm going into the freezer game <laughs> What's in there? Like, because if Alicia, obviously, with our situation, Alicia's mum passing, it's like, well, she might go a day where she just doesn't want to breastfeed because she's just so emotional. And then I'm like, I've got to use all that milk. And then so you, you do, you go through those emotions and, you, and your mind goes to, my baby's not going to get any food. It's like, well, Eddie, you're going to find a way. But in those moments, you, you just think it's the end of the world, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that.
2: <laughs> oh, the the punny man, there'll probably be more to come because riders now, they... Uh, he's probably five weeks post due date, so we've probably got a few months left of breastfeeding. So there is nerves around that coming around again, but all all is well at the moment. But yeah, Lisa definitely struggles with that as well. Like, and so a friend posted something about the breath, um, breastfeeding trauma week or whatever it is called. Um, and I like my admiration for females that can or even can't breastfeed is just it's phenomenal. Like I, I, I sleep through the night because essentially I'm I'll get up if she needs me, but if I'm if I'm not sleeping, then I'm useless to her during the day. Um but yeah, just to be able just to get up every three or four hours, um hats off, like it's it is
1: amazing. Um, what mothers do well, i am
2: run out of questions I've crossed a lot of stuff out and even my last question, I will ask it but how, how is Ava now and how long, how far do you think until she's able to come out or is that pending the tests that are happening later in the week
0: Um. so at the moment we still probably got at least another couple of weeks in there Um. she's Struggled to really learn to feed um, well. So, when she was uh, got to about the 10 week mark, so um, about the 36, 37 week, um, she started getting really bad reflux um, to the point that she was vomiting and choking on her feeds and having to be near a puff. So, she had five of those episodes on us, um, which has sort of delayed a lot of the feeding because we would just gotten to three hourly feeds at that point. Um, so we had to take them back to two hours yep. to try and help with her reflux. So smaller amounts more often. Um, they've also had to put feed thickness in to try and keep everything down. Um, and then on top of that, she's had to go on some pretty heavy reflux uh, medication, which is a Um They use that in adults. Uh, so that's how strong that is. So obviously she's on a, age and weight appropriate dosage but it's quite quite a severe um, medication and it does have long term effects if we if we can't get her off it um you know it takes but essentially takes away all of her stomach acid um so that's obviously not good long term either so it's it's about um you know seeing how it all goes. And we've already been told that we'll have to go to a um, pediatric's allergen specialist um, before we even go on solids. So at at about three month mark, we'll get sent off there. Um, They start doing some allergy testing so that when we're trying her on new foods, it's not (laughs) affecting the reflux even more, but hopefully putting her on solids at at the four month mark will help her reflux. Yeah. Um, So because of that, she's really slowed down. Um, Then we... (laughs) So we couldn't try bottles or anything until we went back to three hourly feeds. Um, So we went back to three hourly feeds um, and then now they're trying to, so her feeds have been fortified since she was two weeks old. So they've been adding um, narrow capes because she she needs extra calories. Um, And so now they're they're playing with all that and trying to drop all that out um, to try and make the feeds a bit thinner, but still keep the thickener in them to hold them in her stomach. So, She's struggling because it's quite hard work for her to feed out of a bottle because she's got to suck so much thickener. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And today was actually actually our first day of a um, small breastfeed. Um, she's oh, really bye. shown no interest in it until today. So that was pretty exciting that she actually had some interest to even try and do it today. So, um, so we need to master those um, to get her home. Um, yeah. Otherwise... Would have to bring her home on a nasal gastric, which I would rather stay in hospital longer um, because being on a nasal gastric at home has other other yeah. risks. Um, and on top of that, it's also pending the results of what happens with an MRI and another physio assessment. Um, she passed her hearing test yesterday, um, so she passed the first one, which they they do. An, I don't know if they did a night and a day one Friday, but. That, at the new hospital, they do them in day and night and they've got to pass both. Okay, Um, So she passed the night one first go and they thought that she, they pretty much said to me, oh, I think she'll fail the day one, so she may need two of these. Um, So she passed passed that one really quickly um, yesterday, so that's good, but it's mainly the feeds and and this MRI results that will now dictate when we get to go
1: home. It's, um. It happens really quickly.
2: The last couple of weeks—that's that's what I'll what, what I will say on that. Um, and you pretty quickly forget about the the period of time that you were in hospital for a little while, and then you go, "Oh shit, like It's just—it's a really weird transition period. Where, and I still struggle with it. Um, like Ryder is, you know, nearly um, four months old. But he's only five weeks. So, but I'm, I'm walking around cause all I've seen is four month babies that are basically crawling and then like right as a five week old, he can't do any of that. Like he's last week, he first started tracking with his eyes when we moved. So it's like, but I was like, he should be able to do that because he's four months old. So that's, that's when you start to realize, hang on a minute, he's still a baby. I think that's probably one of the hardest things about Prem's is you, you naturally think they should be more developed than they are. And they, I don't know if they told you that, but one of the first two weeks, they said, just be prepared that for the first five years. He, he is 10 weeks prem. So he will develop slower than other babies. That's just the way things are. And I was like, Oh, but but he won't. And now I'm like, Oh no, but he will.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that complete feeling because uh, I was a bit the same. And then now like, you know, we're getting to the feeding thing and I'm like, well, Generally that's something a 36 week old would be able to do and Ava's a couple of weeks behind because we had a few setbacks anyway, and it's like, well, you know what, it everything's on their time now. Like yeah. I'm not gonna push her to do anything and yeah, just let her develop it in her time. Just set I'll set her, make sure I set her up for success. But um yeah, it's just one of those things you just gotta, gotta ride the wave, don't you? It's
2: certainly yeah. do. Yeah. Before I ask the last question, is there anything that you think we missed that you want to talk about before we move on or
0: um I think we've pretty much captured it it's yeah, it's just a long journey and I think if we were to say everything about it, we'd be here for probably <laughs> talking about it but I think yeah, I think we've covered most of the topics
2: i was I was actually thinking about not doing power stream Vulnerability podcast. I, I thought about doing one specifically talking about pregnancies pramings IVF and stuff and they're like no i don't want to create another platform but i definitely think well this is going to go out in two hits and i, I would, would love to potentially talk about it again in the future when both of our kids are one and we're going what the hell is going on, they're running around and stuff, and pull, you know, put them back into bed for a couple of days, but then we're going, no, 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 it's better they're out. Um but you've created an Instagram handle um the underscore Niku underscore mama.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: So which I'll share in all the notes and all the posts I do about this. So get on and follow because I I went went through and read all the posts again today. And it really does encapsulate having been in that experience from a father's perspective, what you've written is is really encapsulates what you go through and the difficulties and the challenges that are set that you have no choice in the matter. You have to turn up day in, day out to actually face these challenges head on. Um, you know, seeing the babies. I remember I didn't send a photo out of Ryder for a couple of weeks because I had my other friends who were pregnant and I didn't want to scare them because they – because even, even they were 20 weeks pregnant at the time or 18 weeks and they were still scared. And I was like, no, no, like the percentages are very low. You're having birth. But I was like, I can't send – and that was another hard thing for me. I couldn't send pictures to my friends. But – so if people do want to follow like the pictures are raw and real, but that's the reality of what it's like day after day. So follow. Um, what what do you want to do going forward in this space? Because we spoke off there about it briefly, but it's something you're extremely passionate about now. What what is it? What do you want to do?
0: Yeah, so I really want to work on raising awareness on this and normalizing it and also trying to just make a bit of a support platform for people going through this as well. Like, um, yeah, I one thing I definitely want to rally for is that extra paid leave for prem births. Like it hopefully I'm never in this situation again, but it's one of those things like I wanna do it for the mums that and dads that do end up in this situation, um, because it is so tough and just getting it out there so people sort of have a bit of an understanding and can maybe sort of converse and understand what people are going through and have that, you know, increased um, emotional intelligence around it and that I I think my Instagram page, I think the one thing is making sure people know that NICUs exist because people do not know they exist and I knew that, you know, special care nurses existed but I didn't know about a NICU. Um, I just thought it was like, you know, they just go to special care and they're more special than the other special care babies. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I want to normalize it. And my one of my friends who went through this like seven odd years ago, she didn't share her situation. And I actually said to her, back then I didn't know what she was going through. I didn't even know how to talk to her about it. But I said, you know, I wished that she had um like had told me about it, and yeah, and had told me the most vulnerable moments of it as well. So, yeah, that's I, I guess that's the whole purpose of what I'm trying to rally for now. And honestly, I don't know if I will go back to full time work because <laughs> I would like to spend some time to work on this. So, yeah, and I definitely open any opportunity that you may want to collaborate on anything. Definitely, like yeah, count me in.
2: Awesome. I I honestly can't thank you enough for sharing it. I hope the listeners got as much out of it as I have and everything you, and I'm saying that coming from a place where I, you know, went through a lot of similar stuff. So I, I knew a lot of what you said. I was just like nodding my head and going, yep, felt that, felt that, went through that. But I hope the listeners and anyone that ever goes through this has got something out of this and, not only those people, but the family and friends around those people, because as you said, and I mentioned, you know, it is for the infancy of a premier baby's life. It's not just the parents. there's There's a genuine army that is needed to get this baby, um, the best possible care. So thank you for being completely vulnerable and, you know, the strength that you are showing by sharing your stories, um, Is to be admired and, um, yes, we'll continue on the journey moving forward. Um, You know, school was 14 years ago and I think we've both grown up and matured since then. So so, um, I look forward to working um, in whatever capacity moving forward and I thank you and I'm sure the listeners will thank you as well.
0: And thank you for always replying to a message or just checking in. Like it's... um Obviously, at high school, we were in different friendship groups. We weren't exactly like best friends or anything. So, um, yeah, just to have that support through this time, like, thank you to you and Alicia for that. Like, it's, you know, um, certainly gotten help get us through on some days, just knowing that someone else has been there and they understand what we're talking about. So, thank you. No worries. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at Shane at VitalityFit.com.au. That's
1: V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T.com.au.